Luke chapter 4. Just to give you a moment of background for those that weren't here last week, um, Jesus has just been baptized, um, and at his baptism, uh, he, uh, he is given this commission, effectively. We'll talk a little bit about how that works, his, this commission for his ministry. Um, and so this passage, in some ways, functions as the retreat he goes on after that call on his life as he gets going on his Christian ministry. This is really where the story of Luke starts to build momentum. Um, And just note that he has been named as God's son in the baptism story. And note how that comes up in the reading. So, chapter 4, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority. All their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Let me tell you a little bit about some of my own story um, that you may or may not have heard before. I grew up in a very sort of strong Christian context, the kind of Christian context where it's very easy to not really challenge yourself, you know, ask serious questions, because actually there's a certain level of Christian assumption among your uh, friends and, uh, and the group that you know. Um, and it wasn't actually until I was coming towards the end of university um, and I was facing the, the sort of independence of graduate employment Um, that I realized that I had no faith at all that God was going to look after me uh, in in the the hustle and bustle of actual real life. And it started to dawn on me that I had never really asked any really serious questions about my faith. Um, I'd allowed myself to go on uh, in this, just in this sort of Christian-y bubble. Um, and, uh, And I'd built for myself spiritually a house of cards, um, and a house which, given a little bit of wind, was now quickly blown over. And my faith fell apart. I was riddled with doubt, and uh, I just wasn't sure what what anything meant anymore. Um, If you have that kind of background, you will know that that's doubly anxious. It's anxious on the first, anxiety-inducing on the first hand, because... um, the rug is pulled out from under your feet. Everything that you just kind of assumed to be true, you suddenly discover, well, actually, maybe it isn't. And it's also anxious because your, your social circle um, is something that you realize you might be just about to alienate yourself from by saying, actually, I'm going to reject all of that. 
So it was an incredibly difficult time, a time of, of, um, of identity crisis uh, and of actually having to go back to absolute beginnings and rebuild my faith. It came to that point because my faith had really never been tested. It had never really been proven. It had never really had to be concrete, turned to concrete in the, in the sort of storms of life, if that's, that's all sorts of metaphors in there, but you know what I mean. Um, now, as it happened, in the midst of all of that, I came through, I rebuilt uh, a faith with a little bit more confidence um, and uh, a little bit more thought-throughness, and here I am today. That's a, that's a bit more of a story to that, of course. But that process in itself, of course, became the testing period that shored up my faith, uh, uh, started to form it with actual some reality to it. I don't know if you have any kind of experience like that. Um, if, if you grew up in a Christian home, there's more of a chance that you have that kind of experience. Uh, it might be that it's, it was triggered by something traumatic in your life. Uh, who knows? Uh, this evening, we're looking at that kind of moment in the life of Jesus. Now, that's a little bit of an overstatement, um, but this is uh, a little bit of what's going on uh, in this testing in the wilderness, or tempting in the wilderness. Um, it is something far deeper than what we think of when we think of temptation, which is, should I or should I not have that chocolate? You know, there's something much more profound, much more formative going on in the life of Jesus. We see here Jesus' full humanity as he grapples with the reality of the road that lies ahead of him. And I want to ask us two questions uh, from this passage. Um, firstly, why is, why is this passage important? Why is it important that Jesus was tested? Um, and secondly, what does it show us about how we should respond when we are tested? Um, in some ways, you could say there's the, the what should we do um, and what do we learn about what has been done for us? Um, those two questions, which actually are a good pair of questions to always ask when we come uh, to the New Testament, especially to uh, the Gospels. But in order to get to those two questions, uh, we need to uh, go through the story as we see in front of us. Um, now, this story, as I said, comes off the back of the baptism of Jesus. Um, and at his baptism, at baptism, he is somewhat commissioned for the ministry that lies ahead, as will start to become clear. And he goes on retreat uh, into the wilderness around Judea. And on a cold, wintry evening like this, that sounds rather attractive, doesn't it? The sunshine of the, the Middle East for 40 days. I'm sure it would get old very, very fast. Um, but the thing that he has ringing in his ears as he goes is this thing that was spoken over him by God at his baptism. You are my son, in you I delight. Um, now, that's a very simple little phrase, but it's actually quite loaded. Barry, if we could have the first screen up. Um, he's actually, that's actually drawing quite specifically on two Old Testament ideas. I go into all this um, in last week's sermon. The first um, is, it's a reference to Psalm 2, which is about this Messiah king who will inherit the earth. Um, and the other half of the phrase evokes 
another passage from the Old Testament, from Isaiah 40, uh, which is about this suffering servant. Um, You put them together and you get this sense that Jesus has been commissioned, yes, to be king over all that there is in the world. But his kingship uh, will be brought through real and deep suffering and even death. So that is the idea that is ringing in his ears as he heads into this time of retreat. Now embedded in this idea of the suffering servant is the idea uh, of, of the suffering servant being a representative of the people of Israel. Um, in one of the descriptions of the servant, it talks about, uh, you'll, you'll, many of you will know this, uh, Isaiah 53 very well. In fact, we preached on it in December. Um, this constant substitution that he stands in place of um, fallen humanity, fallen Israel, um, and by his wounds we are healed. Um, And Luke, therefore, grabs hold of this idea of Jesus as representing the new Israel, one might say, a replacement Israel, um, by mirroring the story of the Exodus in Jesus' own life. Again, last week, one of the things we talked about was how baptism reflects the Exodus story. Uh, In the Exodus, uh, the slaves are taken through these waters, and as they leave the waters, the waters crash over behind them and and wipe out Pharaoh's army. Um, And that increasingly becomes, in baptism, an an image of God cleansing away our old slavery, uh, um, all that uh, enslaved us, um, and giving us new creation, new birth into a new identity. So Jesus has had that happen in his baptism. Of course, he hasn't. In fact, he's had something, he's had a twist on that happen. That's what happens to us at our baptism. Um, uh, For him, he actually becomes this new Israel, and it is him that we join. Anyway, bracket all that together, and you can see how the baptism uh, in chapter 3 and the going through the waters in the Exodus mirror one another. And the mirror continues. Um, after the Exodus, the people of Israel find themselves in the desert uh, being tested for 40 years. Jesus, of course, here finds himself in the wilderness being tested for 40 days. Um, and in the, in the story of Israel, one of the things we discover is that they constantly failed in the testing that was going on. Um, and this burning question, therefore, is, as Jesus heads into this time, will, will he fail? Uh, or will he succeed? Will he be uh, the perfect, true, new Israel? Um, it also actually evokes another bit of uh, testing and tempting right back at the start of the story of the Bible, right back in Genesis, um, where Adam and Eve are tested and tempted by, uh, by the devil again. Um, and they fail. Um, and again, Jesus, as the, as the new human, uh, we, are, we are forced to ask, will he manage, will he succeed where Adam failed and where Israel failed? And what you might note, if you were to go back to those passages, um, is that the nub uh, of those passages is trust. Uh, uh, in, in Genesis, it is 
that all of sin comes into the world uh, through, through the devil just undoing our sense of trust in God and his, in his purposes for us and his love for us. Um, and that sits very heavily on the, on the Exodus story as well. These Israelites have been used to life under Pharaoh. There's an awful lot of anxious wiring for these guys. Um, and, and those 40 years in the desert are about them having to learn how to trust a genuinely loving uh, leader in God himself. Of course, the next bit of mirroring that goes on in the story is that after the 40 years, the people of Israel come into the promised land. They inherit the land. And Jesus has this ringing in his head. Of course, he's just been told that he will inherit uh, the earth. In fact, we know that he already knew that he was the Messiah, this figure that would, that would rule over the earth. But, but something has come together in his baptism. Um, and he's reflecting on this idea. So, of course... Where better to meditate on his retreat than in the book of Deuteronomy? Barry, if we, that's perfect, thank you. Um, the early chapters of, well, the, the, the book of Deuteronomy is basically Moses retelling the people of Israel the story of the Exodus just before they're going to enter the promised land. He retells the whole story to remind them where they come from um, and to shore them up for uh, what lies ahead. Um, and Jesus, we, we can see Jesus is reflecting on this because it appears several times. All of the quotes that Jesus says, it is written, come from three chapters, uh, well, two chapters, in fact, chapter 6 and chapter 8 in the book of Deuteronomy. And as Jesus reflects on this book, uh, and as he deals with the doubts and questions that he has about what lies ahead, we hear his inner monologue. Now, again, when we picture this story, especially actually when we've seen it on film, if you've ever seen one of the films about the sort of life of Christ, uh, the devil is always pictured somehow, either as a snake or um, a sort of um, slightly eerie figure uh, in, uh, in Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ. You have to externalize uh, this temptation conversation on, on screen because it just wouldn't work on screen otherwise, would it? But actually, what we need to remember is that if we were there, the vast, I, 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 I'm convinced, in fact, that there wouldn't have been this other presence external to Jesus. Um, this, is, this is the devil at work in Jesus' heart, in his own inner monologue, which is how we experience uh, him. Now, what I want to just spend before we carry on with the story and actually look at the three uh, temptations in detail, I want to just spend a couple of minutes looking at the word. This, as, you said, as you've heard already, I've been going test, tempt, test, tempt. Now, um, uh, rule number two of preaching is never put, never actually throw Greek or Hebrew at the congregation. Um, <laughs> but I've, I've put it up there just partly to remind us that you know, what we're reading is translated and we have to come with a little bit of caution, therefore. Um, uh, now, this verb, peirazzo, um, appears a few times in our passage and a number of times throughout uh, the Bible. And it's, the, it's, it's translated in a number of different ways. Um, it's, I would say its core 
is this idea of challenge. It's to be challenged uh, or to be stretched. Um, and it can refer to oneself, in which case it really means, yeah, to stretch, to challenge yourself, to attempt something that feels like a bit beyond yourself. Um, or, you, or it can be referred to somebody else. Um, and when it is so, it can take on either a positive or a negative feel. It can be a simple act of testing, trying to work out the reality of something, whether or not it's true. Um, but, it, but it can be a bit conniving, so this idea of trying to entrap somebody. When you, when you hear about the Pharisees uh, testing Jesus, it's the same word. They're trying to entrap him. They're trying to get him to say things that will undo his ministry. And, and part of it is enticing to wrong behavior. Uh, so the idea of tempting but all of that sits under one word. Um, so, uh, so whenever you hear the word tempt in the, in the New Testament, know that it has this kind of breadth of meaning. It's not necessarily as cynical as it is when the devil is being used uh, with reference to the devil. One more a bit of this before we move on. You will notice that there are, it's used in three different directions, in fact, uh, in, in the Bible. Uh, it's used of God testing us. Um, I would say that that experience after university for me was an example of that. It was good for me. It was tough, but it was really good for me. And, it, and it, not only did it test me and show that underneath it all I was in there for the long haul, but in that process it shored me up and made me strong. Um, so God tests us. The devil also tests us, and we see him, that, that, that's said actually in here. Now, you might notice at the beginning of our passage that Jesus is sent by the Spirit into the wilderness. Um, everything that unfolds, uh, nothing that unfolds is a surprise uh, to God. Um, this is part of his plan. But he allows the devil to do this testing of him. Now, the devil's intentions are, of course, entirely evil. They are to try and get, is try and try and uh, make Jesus slip up. So that's the second uh, direction of testing. But there's this third one, which also appears in this passage, which is us testing God. And actually, here there's a slightly more extreme word that's used. It's a development of this word, a sort of extra, if you imagine, it's an extra test. Um, the loading that you might want to think of for that is if you imagine you're back at school uh, doing your O-levels, let's be honest, um, and, uh, and the examiner comes past and he's putting our papers down, and just as he puts one down in front of you, you, you hand him one and say, I'd like you to fill this out, please. I want to test whether or not you, know, you can really be my teacher or my examiner. If you imagine that, that's some of the loading of us testing God uh, in stories like the story of Exodus. Now, that is not for a moment to suggest we shouldn't grapple with the realities, uh, the harsh realities of truth and ask tough questions of God. But there's something deeper that goes on. Uh, that, that there's a more profound testing uh, which actually uh, takes on that sense of, of, uh, of testing the teacher, one might say. Hopefully, that'll, that'll start to become a little clearer as we go. Anyway, that's, that's the excursus into the word 
of uh, testing for you. Um, back to our natty little diagram. Um, now, it's, it's, I know it's a profoundly unartistic diagram. Um, so for some of you, your heart is sinking with every box that appears. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, suddenly, it's, you're, you're back to your physics O level, aren't you? Um, and uh, if, if that's how you feel, ignore it. Um, but one of the things that I like about, about this little diagram is that it just shows this web of passages. It shows how deeply um, Luke knew his Bible, how deeply Jesus knew his Bible as he went through uh, this experience. Um, you know, Jesus was a good Jew. He knew his Bible so well. And there's a little bit of an assumption of, of knowing the Old Testament when we read the New Testament. And this would be a good extreme example of that. Anyway, we'll, it'll, it, there's more to come. Um, um, so there are these three tests that come to Jesus in the wilderness. Um, and, and firstly, these tests uh, shape Jesus' sense of his own kingship. Um, what his kingship, what his kingdom will look like. Uh, if you notice that all three have this sense of self-giving, of placing others uh, as the priority at the center of the plan. From the devil's point of view, all three have this feeling of, if you're really the king who's going to inherit the world, surely you could just sort this out for yourself, couldn't you? Couldn't, you, know, you shouldn't be hungry. A king shouldn't be hungry. You, know, you could just make the stones into bread. You know? A king uh, shouldn't have to suffer to get to his throne. You've got this shortcut. Just take it. Why don't you do something spectacular? Throw yourself from the top of the temple and watch the angels catch you. Then nobody will uh, be able to dispute who you are. Um, but no, Jesus understands that there's this, also this suffering servant figure. He understands that his kingship has a very different look to it. Um, it, is a, it is a self-giving, sacrificial kingship. Um, but in addition to Jesus seeing what his kingdom ministry will look like, we also see what it means to trust uh, his father in the midst of the desert of his self-giving. Um, and at this point, I want to take us through Again, the, the deeper Old Testament references that are going on uh, through the book of Deuteronomy into the book of Exodus. So, verse 3. Um, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Uh, now, uh, you might remember that one of the first things that happens to the, uh, the uh, Israelites in the wilderness is the story of manna. They start grumbling, oh, we're so hungry, you know, oh God, you should, have, you should have left us in Egypt, at least we had bread there, kind of stuff. Um, and God gives them manna, um, and, and, which is this weird stuff that's lying around on the ground. And they, they have to learn God's reliability in this. They can't keep it for an extra day. Uh, they can't hoard it and, and rely on their own stocks because it just goes rotten and melts 
and gets riddled with worms uh, if you keep it. Uh, so they are taught this lesson of daily reliance on God uh, for everything. And, so, and, and that is the story um, that is in Moses' mind um, when he mentions uh, uh, this response, this quote from Jesus, verse 4. It is written, man does not live by bread alone. Moses, in Deuteronomy, is referring back to Exodus 16. And there's an underlying question, therefore, that sits at the center of this first temptation. This first, the first trust challenge. Is God reliable? Can I actually trust him to see me through uh, all that lies ahead? Uh, will he sustain me? Um, the second uh, temptation there in verse 5. Um, this evokes another bit of the Old Testament story. Uh, as the people were to enter the promised land, um, and obviously that's the context of the whole book, as I said, of Deuteronomy, that moment when they're about to enter in. The challenge for them was to stay pure in that process of entering the land. Uh, would they intermingle with the faith of, of uh, others? Uh, would they serve other gods? Uh, and God makes it very clear to them, they must not serve anyone but him. And with that story in the background, Jesus finds himself here, uh, looking into the promised land and being invited to this shortcut, a bit of idolatry, and it's all dealt with. I have no doubt that one of the constant things that badgered Jesus throughout his ministry was this idea that his kingship was to come through suffering. Um, there's a lot of passages where you can sense Jesus chewing that question over. Do feel free to talk to me after that, uh, afterwards if you'd like to, uh, to hear more about that. But underlying that question then is another trust question. Is God worth obeying? Is it worth doing it? God's way? Is the cost involved in doing it going to be worth the joy, the sense of fulfillment in serving God, being true to his purposes, um, and being part of the life that he gives? Um, and then thirdly, uh, there's this story about throwing himself down from the top of the temple. Um, now, the, the, the link is slightly less clear here, but the quote, so that's the quote that's in verse 12 of our passage is, again, from Deuteronomy 6, 16. It's the, it's the next story after the manna story um, uh, in Exodus 17. And the people are thirsty, um, and God gives them water out of this rock. But the subtext of the story is that the people are going, well, come on, let's see if you're, gonna, if, you know, if you're, if you're worth it. Let's see if God is with us. Um, let's see if he'll actually care for us. This is, this is the next chapter after the manna story. Um, and, and it's this sense uh, that, uh, that they're handing God this exam paper, this God who's caring for them so perfectly, uh, they feel they have the right to start pulling these strings and saying, well, God, if you want us to trust you, you're going to need to do this. Um, so that's part of the sort of loading of that story. And it basically, again, comes down to a trust uh, question. 
of does God care for me? Will God be with me, um, present in the midst of what lies ahead? So, with that rather complex picture having been built up on the screens, let's go back to our original two questions very quickly. Um, Firstly, why is it important that Jesus was tested? Why was it important that Jesus went through this whole experience? While remembering the whole suffering servant component to this background, um, he needed to be the new Israel. He needed to succeed where they had failed. He needed to be perfect. He was the lamb that was to be slain. He needed to be without blemish. Um, And it is his perfection exemplified here that we get joined into uh, when we come to Christ as we stand before God. So this perfection that he models here is one of the building blocks of the climax of the story uh, towards the end of the book, the cross. So that's why this is an important story from that point of view. But secondly, how does it help us as we face our own wildernesses and our testings and our temptings? Well, on on one level, as I said with this diagram um, and all of its passages and arrows and so on, um, it's it's obviously a challenge to me, and I hope it is to you too, just to, just to know God better and in his revelation of himself in the scriptures and the challenge of, you know, really getting on board with that. But I don't want to focus there. I want to focus more uh, on what, in fact, I've already said, um, that these challenges all begin with the question of trust. Temptation isn't in the first place about do I, do I take the chocolate? Or let's get serious, it's not, and it's not about um, sexual unfaithfulness. Uh, it's not about dishonesty at work. Those are the actions, those are the presenting actions, but actually there's something that sits before that, which is do I trust God? Do I trust him to be reliable? true to his word? Do I trust that his purposes for me and me doing things his way will work out for my joy and my fulfillment um, in the big picture? Um, And do I trust that God genuinely cares for me, especially when that care seems hidden in the wilderness of our lives? So let's just take a moment of quiet Uh, maybe think through uh, what lies ahead this week or maybe even this year. Um, How will we put in place these building blocks of trust?